0: The with your host, DJ
1: Rome. Hey, welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of Funk and Soul. My name is G.J. Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School for this Labor Day weekend. So ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh my God, we have such a fully loaded show. You will not believe what's jumping off this evening inside of Psychotic Bump School. So check this out. We have the mental health army coming through. That's right, the Mental Health Army. That's how I am affectionately terming this incredibly talented group of service providers. I'll explain more in just a second. Uh, also joining us will be Ann Brannigan. Ann Brannigan is uh, a journalist with the incredibly hard hitting publication, The Root. And she's here to talk to us about some of the latest in uh, pro- police brutality and protests and legislation that is impacting Black folks across the land. Ann Brannigan has got the stories covered, y'all. Uh, She's going to be joining us this evening, and the Mental Health Army, well, it's comprised of a team of social workers, licensed marriage and family therapists, clinical psychotherapists, educational psychologists, and I'm proud that they're all here for this episode of Psychotic Bump School. So, uh, I'd like to welcome this evening, licensed clinical social worker Casey Phillips-Brown, my good brother social worker Jamal Jones, Dr. Nikki A, clinical psychotherapist, clinical psychotherapist Dr. Amanda Rankin out of Chicago, Illinois. We also have Dr. Roche Brown, clinical psychotherapist out of Northern California. I'm proud to welcome Shondell Michaud, licensed marriage and family therapist out of Southern California, and my good brother, the inimitable Dr. Chase Moore, educational psychologist out of Northern California. The Mental Health Army is gonna be breaking down all things mental health and wellness as it relates to the current news cycle, including uh, Jacob Blake protests, um, the loss of Chadwood Bozeman. Oh, we getting it all in y'all with the mental health army. So uh, that's gonna be our lineup. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we're definitely about to set it off. So this is KCWG, My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with our first guest, Ann Brannigan after this.
2: Uh, uh, what y'all mad about today? What y'all mad about today? What y'all mad about today? I don't even know what. Y'all mad about Trump. Y'all mad about Pence. Y'all mad about Biden and Kamala Harris-Pink. Y'all mad about Kanye, still mad at Obama. Y'all mad at Cardi B and men, cause they don't reflect your mama. Y'all mad about unemployment, y'all mad about COVID, y'all mad about homeschooling, cause the parents don't know shit, y'all mad at IG, got the TikTok features, y'all mad at all the money boys, and mad at nigga sneakers, y'all still mad at D-Wade, and still mad at Beyonce, mad at all the strippers, cause they taking off fiancés, y'all mad at Dave Chappelle for telling the truth, y'all mad you ain't seen a stimulus check come through, what y'all mad about today? What y'all mad about today? What y'all mad about today? What y'all mad about today?
1: Okay, we are back. KCWG, truth.com. The The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And uh, yeah, I was just speaking to my uh, next guest. She's a bit of a mellow rebel. (laughs) You know, she's real. She's low key in her speaking tone, I tell you. She has a real soothing tone, but nevertheless, don't underestimate the the publication that this uh, sister works with. Uh, She works with The Root, and uh, she has some amazing uh, stories to share with us as she's been following some uh, nationwide stories uh, as they've been unfolding. So uh, it's my honor once again, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, Miss Ann Branigan. Ann, are you there?
3: Hi, I'm here. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh yeah, it's always a pleasure. Well, you've been kind of busy out there. We're on two different coasts, and I'm, I'm sure you've been hearing a little bit about the protests across the country. I'm wondering if you're uh, keeping tabs of that. You know, we're closer to Oregon, of course, than you are, but Portland has been jumping off. But right. even on your side of town, I mean, before we get into it, do you see any parallels? I mean, we're going to be talking about um, New York and uh, some of the things that are happening out there, but you see any parallels between all of that and what's happening in Portland? They just won't stop out there.
3: Right. Um, Portland is an interesting example, I think, because there's always been a sort of very liberal, sort of radical politic in Portland, but where Portland has always struggled has been with racial equity. Mm. And so there's, it's, it's layered there because there is Sort of the the er, origin of the protest, which is Black Lives Matter, which is about demanding police accountability, which is about demanding systemic change, addressing racism. But there's also this element of the right to protest itself, and who does have the right to protest? And you really see that coming to a head in Portland. Um, so I, I see the, you know, I see parallels. Certainly, I think in New York and in cities throughout the country Mm
0: -hmm. where
3: you see very different treatment um, of Black Lives Matter protesters from police, from federal agents, and you see any other group. Um, And Black Lives Matter, as has been covered time and time again, is not the the terroristic threat, the domestic terrorist threat that Mm right-wing militias are. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues kind of coming to a head, like there's a confluence of issues in Portland, and you see bits and pieces of that in other in other cities as well.
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I forgot to mention this is Labor Day weekend, and I'm sure and i'm you I'm wondering if you're referring lightly to that report that came out that's kind of stated the obvious to so many of us that ninety three percent of Black Lives Matter protests are largely peaceful and nonviolent and right. And, you know, we're like, no, duh, because when <laughs> Jeff Flake, or did, when I said Jeff Flake, uh, Jeff Sessions uh, became, um, you know, Trump's uh, hitman or what have you, uh, the first attorney general before uh, William Barr, uh, he was saying that black identity extremism groups were the, one of the top threats and priorities of the, uh, the federal judiciary. And uh, judicial system, I should say, and so we knew that was BS even back then. So this report just kind of confirms and highlights what you just said, right?
3: Exactly, and you know, there's there is some validity to. You see, certain you see some activists really pointing out that whether a protest is peaceful or not peaceful doesn't challenge the validity of the protest, doesn't challenge the validity right. of the message. So, you know, for example, the first few protests coming out of Minneapolis, where you saw the police Mm -hmm. precinct burn down. Yes. That was, you know, for many people, a necessary statement. And Mm so, you know, at at the same time, you know, it is true, it is factually true that most Black Lives Matter protests are peaceful, are people, you know, agitating within the boundaries of the law (laughs) in which that they can, you know, that allow them to agitate in very specific ways. Right. there is validity to agitation beyond that, you know, but when we're talking about actual crimes against federal agents, which we have seen this summer, those have been perpetrated by white supremacists. Mm. So these are all the ideas that we have to hold in, hold in our mind that looting and say the burning down of empty buildings those can those have happened at black lives matter protests and Mm -hmm. may or may not have happened at the hands of actual protesters or outside agitators Mm
4: -hmm. but in
3: any case that doesn't at all invalidate um the moral consciousness that fuels that movement but at the same time it has provided cover for Mm. actual white supremacists (laughs) to start what they see as being a race war as being a new civil war in which they want to attack the federal government and mm. so again there, there are so many layers to the kinds of violence and the kinds of conflict that we're seeing at this moment
1: yeah and it begs the question who's aiding and abetting them um this story out of new york where the uh the car ran through the crowd of uh and i believe that was a black lives matter uh, demonstration uh, you covered a little of that story. What can you tell us about that uh, incident in New York City where they were already marching and protesting civilly and peacefully, but yet something unfolded, uh, possibly with the aid of the uh, the local police force? Can you talk to us about that a little bit?
3: So New York has been doing daily protests since the killing of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, this latest protest that we saw this week was in response to Daniel Prude, the Rochester man who died back in March, but there was just recent body cam footage released of his of his death that was just excruciating um, right. and kind of similar to George Floyd in the sense that he died via asphyxiation. Hmm. There were police who put a spit hood on him and um, basically in some way or form sort of choked him to death. He couldn't yeah. breathe. Mm-hmm. And so we see in New York, in Times Square, a protest that happened, I believe it was Thursday night. And very early on in the protests, there were some pro-Trump, pro-police counter-protesters, not a lot of them, but they were very much protected by the police. You see some footage of them protesting and there's a wall of NYPD around them presumably to protect them from the Black Lives Matter protesters. And then later on in the day, or late, later on in that, that evening, you s- there's footage of NYPD basically escorting them back to a vehicle. That vehicle ends up ramming the Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh, it must have been several yards down that block. Mm -hmm. um it's it's very you know there's tons of video it's it blows up on social media pretty much instantly and people could have really gotten hurt luckily everybody kind of jumped out of the way but this car in a way that we've seen multiple times at various other black lives matter protests these these attacks like what this was was an attack Mm -hmm. um And it doesn't come out until sort of later on that morning that there was some sort of link to the NYPD, the person um, who's the the, there were some there were some reporters who ran the, the license plate and saw that it came up as being related to a very pro police sort of activist. And so there's this correlation we see once again where. If you're a Black Lives Matter protester, there's a certain assumption and treatment by the police. Whereas, yeah. if you're a pro-Trump protester, that treatment becomes something very different. And you know there could be even deeper ties because this activist was specifically a pro-police, pro-NYPD activist.
1: Hmm. And it just rings of Kyle Rittenhouse all over again, over in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, right? I mean, oh,
3: absolutely.
1: walking right amongst the police force with uh AR-15 drawn out, and um, he's allowed to uh, co-mingle quite freely. But that story uh, smells badly, uh, Ann Brannigan. I mean, if, if police are going to escort someone to their vehicle, I'm thinking out of the interest of safety, wouldn't they then too be responsible for the safe departure from the scene, including like, Clearing traffic. I mean, I'm scared to say that with New York police or any police right now because they might use tear gas But that sounds very suspicious that they would just leave them unattended to just if they were worried about their safety wouldn't they be You know keep a close presence to ensure a safe departure not only for the driver, but for the protesters, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And and yeah, it's it's curious sort of what the decision-making is behind all of it, right but yes, this assumption, I think it's just this assumption of who will do harm. And clearly right. the assumption on the part of NYPD is that they are prepared in all manner of ways for Black Lives Matter protesters to do harm. Hmm. Wow. For some reason, the, for some reason there is I, I, never I, I, the, mm-hmm. the 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 click that happens that these protesters that are agitating on their behalf. Mm. have historically (laughs) and currently, you know, throughout this summer have been agitators doing harm and killing
4: Mm.
3: other like innocent people.
1: Which is why I'm fascinated with this other story you've been following recently with uh, Ayanna Pressley, Elizabeth Warren, Uh, forgive the pun, uh, but they're really taking measures to legislatively attack the issue at the fundamental root of the problem, right? they're talking about Mm -hmm. structural racism as an ongoing and uh, virulent uh, pandemic that specifically targets Black people. Uh, What can you tell us about this uh, latest move by uh, representatives Ayanna Pressley, Elizabeth Warren, and others?
3: Yes, so this is a, this kind of grows on a movement that we've seen sort of at the local and state level, where you, we have seen a lot of governments this past summer declaring racism as a public health emergency mm-hmm. and you know as you mentioned most recently Senator Elizabeth Warren and Rep- Representative Ayana Presley and Barbara Lee put together this proposal that recognizes racism systemic racism and police brutality as a public health issue and would basically give power to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention To monitor the issue, to come up with recommendations, um, you know, to give grants to people who are studying the issue or finding ways to tackle it. So it really makes and it really puts the onus on the government to start coming up with anti-racist policy to address systemic racism. Mm
5: -hmm.
1: It's a good policy. You remember the consent decrees? Because as soon as I read your article, I started thinking about that and how as soon as, again, his name comes up again, Jeff Sessions, as soon as this administration came in, they rolled that back because the consent degrees were, decrees were designed to study the problem of disproportionate police responses in communities of color, leading of mm-hmm. course to brutality and uh, unnecessary murders and uh, killings. It's like, I was talking mm-hmm. to somebody the other day and I'm like, man, I, I you know, because of the kind of work I do as a psychologist, I, I've done other work in this arena even prior to this and i remember confronting people who had knives you know and people who had a lot of emotionally um you know they they were dealing with some emotionally heavy stuff in the environment that they were coming from and that's why they were in residential placement in the first place so you know when you come to that call you know you're going to be dealing with something right so there were several encounters i had with people with knives i never carried a taser i never had a gun but every single time i got that knife out of their hand and Mm -hmm. I didn't have to use excessive force. I certainly didn't shoot them. So it it just, it frustrates me when they don't even want people to study this problem. Mm -hmm. And so I'm encouraged by this, um, you know, what Barbara Lee, Warren, and um, Ayanna Presley, and, you know, ironically, one of the squad. And this is why it really, really matters, ladies and gentlemen, who you vote for. Because it's it's been the squad that have been the more progressive members of uh, Congress to really push these issues to the forefront. Uh, any idea of how much traction this is gaining and um, next steps in, in terms of um, where they next want to take it? Because getting it involved as a part of the CDC as a public health crisis, that that's pretty heavy. That that reminds me of Malcolm X wanting to go to the United Nations to say, hey. The racism here is warranted to be discussed at (laughs) this global level. Uh, Brennan, what are your thoughts on that?
3: So, you know, for decades, we have seen public health experts and, you know, medical professionals really pointing to the need to look at racism as a systemic issue and one that has major public health implications. And you see this sort of across the board, you know, African-Americans have higher obesity rates, high, higher diabetes rates, um, yeah. have, are more predisposed to developing lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And for so long, at least in the mainstream sort of like public consciousness, these were looked at as either sort of genetic issues or these were issues that had to do with choices. So, oh, you're not eating right oh, you know, if you cut down on soda, right. then this will improve your chances. Oh, you know, here's a food pyramid. <laughs> if you mm-hmm. follow this food pyramid, this will help us tackle obesity. And yeah. what we're realizing now, especially as a result of COVID, is that personal behavior does play into your health, but it is not the thing that created, it is not the cause that created such a divide between mm. white people and non-white people in terms of, their, in terms of how they were affected. By COVID nineteen,
6: right. you know, if
3: you live in an area that has been disinfested from, where there aren't hospitals, where mm. there is a highway right. intersecting, where you're constantly breathing in fumes, right. that has more of an impact than whether or not <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. whether or not you are eating canned vegetables or fresh vegetables. Come on. Um. Okay. And so, and so, there has been. This has been, you know, this has been discussed in academia. This has been discussed in medical circles for a very long time. And it's only now, because of a pandemic Mm -hmm. that has killed 180,000 people, that people are willing to really (laughs) identify what what the root of this problem is. And so, Mm -hmm. when we're looking at this legislation, um, what this legislation allows. The cdc to do is to say you know if we continue if gentrification continues in this way if disinvestment continues in this way this is the public health outcome that it has for these populations mm-hmm. and then you you have a lot more data and you have a very different you have a very different paradigm through which you're attacking these problems mm-hmm. now This bill will likely not pass. (laughs) You know, that's that's just the truth of the matter. It will not pass Mm -hmm. the Senate. You know, the the House might pass it because it's democratically controlled. Mm -hmm. But what this does, and this is really quite important, I think, is that it puts the idea out there. That this is the way that we should be tackling these things, and again, this is part of a movement. There's some 60 cities and local governments that have declared racism a pl- public health issue. So there is interest in doing this in certain regions, certain parts of the country. But it's a movement that needs to be built on. So this legislation might not be successful, but what it signals and the idea that it puts out now, um, you know, the precedent that it sets is really important, and it's something that activists and public health professionals environmental justice experts politicians they can all build upon this example
1: absolutely this is kcwg the truth.com's program's called psychotic bump school i'm dj rome we're speaking with ann Brannigan, amazing journalist out of the root so this is why uh ladies and gentlemen elections have consequences i mean i've been pushing for the last several weeks maybe the last couple months now vote.org. Make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure that you are in line to get your ballot mailed to you. Uh, Go vote in person if you have to and drop it off at a voting center in person. Get a tracking number. Call your local secretary of state to make sure your vote is being counted. These are all important. You know why? Because of what Ann Branigan just said. She said this bill, which is vitally important and obviously makes sense to a lot of us, right, Ann? However, Mm -hmm because of the, 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 the governing um, head of the Senate, which is currently Mitch McConnell, who's in a tight race to maintain that seat against, uh, I can't remember the woman's name at the moment, but she's an army veteran, McGrath. I think Amy McGrath is her name. Um, there's a slight, slight chance that the Democrats can flip the Senate. So I'm wondering if this bill is able to go forward and at least pass the Congress, and it doesn't die in the Senate under Mitch McConnell, uh, I wonder if they would have a better chance at getting some um, getting some vindication if the Democrats also control the Senate, which is still possible. Mark Kelly in Arizona is beating the crap out of Martha McSally right now in Arizona, okay? We start picking up seats in the Senate. Uh, this can happen. So down ballots are important, ladies and gentlemen. And this bill that Elizabeth Warren, Barbara Lee, and Ayanna Presley are pushing through Uh, will have a far better chance at being successful in a democratically controlled Senate. So vote, vote, vote. Go to vote.org. Make sure you're registered to vote and follow the sequence of steps to make sure you do your due diligence in November. Wow. Well, uh, this is an election year and um, any chance. uh, Okay, I'm going to go off script a little bit with you. But Mm -hmm. are we pushing when I say we I'm talking voters Um, this this advocacy of blackness, this this Black Lives Matter, has never been more popular and globally uh, acknowledged than it is right now. All throughout our sports, our politics, all over the world, people are yelling Black Lives Matter. And so, I'm wondering uh, at what cost uh, during this election season, because some think that the identity pro- identity politics, of course, it exists on the other side too, with white folks too, of course,
4: mm-hmm. but
1: some sense that this banging of the drum on behalf of black lives could work to their detriment in November especially now that Kamala Harris is on the ticket and any thoughts because you don't hear as much as what happens in the uh, Hispanic community or the Philippine community or the (laughs) Middle Eastern community or the Asian community or the Native American community and by the way, uh the Navajo nation is being devastated by coronavirus right now,
6: mm-hmm.
1: so uh any thoughts on um them pressing the issue on behalf of black folks coming into this election? Do you think they're um running the risk of um going too far with this
3: I think uh and so when, when I say going too far
1: I'm sorry yeah. when I say going too far, I'm turning off voters that they might need. I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm
3: yeah so that's a really interesting question and you know i wish we had a lot more data and sort of a lot more media interest in those populations because there's a lot we don't know simply because there's not a lot of attention paid to say um the asian asian american voting bloc or to the latino like voting bloc and you know what are sort of the politics of first generation versus second generation because even within those voting blocks, there is such variety um mm-hmm. and there are such different sort of interests and influences happening. Um, I know that that is a concern that oh, if we go too far left, we're gonna alienate people
5: mm-hmm.
3: um, and I think what jumps out to me as somebody who has followed it to some degree, but you know not extensively is there's a lot of sort of generational issues and a lot of this are regional issues as well. So for example, if you're talking about like Latinidad, you know, a a Cuban American is going to have a very different set of politics than a Dominican or Puerto Rican, like living in New York. And I'm talking about a Cuban American who's living in, you know, Miami. That's right. You know, very different experiences, very different sort of stories, typically about how you get to this country and the stories, um, you know, sort of like that push and pull mm. um, sort of my migration that happens to this country. And and that affects your politics. You know, what, if you're first generation, you tend to be a bit more maybe conservative than somebody who's second generation. What we've seen with, uh, particularly with the Black Lives Matter protests, is we see a lot more young folks, so millennials and Gen Z of all races, but particularly you know, non black people of color really rally really rallying and really finding um fighting racism to be sort of like the fight of their generation along with fighting against climate change.
4: Mm-hmm. Um
3: and so I think I think it's really it's it's really hard to tell because there's a the question of who is going to actually show up? Is it going to be older Latino voters? Is it going to be younger ones? You know, um, within Asian American communities too, there's there's such a range, right? Um, where we see those very same those very same issues. I've seen data that shows that Asian Americans are actually more progressive. Younger Asian Americans are actually more progressive than mm. their Latinx counterparts. Okay. Um, that they're actually a little bit more in line with how black people feel about mm. race and how much it influences their identity and uh, sort of like the need to tackle racism. Yeah. So, you know, I wish I had a more concrete answer, but the fact of the matter is because these voting blocks haven't been historically valued and because there isn't a lot of data around them and because the media doesn't cover them, there's still a lot of questions, but sort of, overarching answer is that it's fairly it's fairly complicated and I think it's hard to say definitively Um, but there is a need to have a moral vision for this country Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and there is a need to put that morality into budgets and put that morality into legislation
1: yes And all I can say to that is thank God. Uh, We've been chatting with Ann Brannigan of The Root, and I can't thank you enough for being here. What's the best way for people to follow you and to follow your amazing work?
3: Um, You can follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm going to be try to be better about sharing my work on there. It's Mm -hmm. Ann Brannigan, Um, and you can follow me at The Root. Um, I'm on there all the time.
0: Keep baby, first. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: What's happening? This is Mark Maxwell, host of Rise, heard on KPFK. But right now, you're listening to one of my influences, the good brother DJ Rome, on Psychotic Bump School. You know, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. Oh, are
5: you feeling like you wanna let go?
4: All your life been holding on. Feeling like it's stuck on. All the way, wanna let go? All
0: your life. I wanna just grow Let Just go get that love
1: the truth.com the name of this program is psychotic bump school my name is dj rome and ladies and gentlemen you know every once in a while i have to call the troops in and lately it's felt like i've needed the troops every single week because we've had so much that we've had to endure every single moment that um occurs through the news cycle seems to have very very fatalistic implications for black people whether we're uh experiencing the loss of uh, a major figure in the world of entertainment, whether we're losing a, a common folk brother or sister out in the streets. Um, it, it's been a heavy, heavy 2020 to say the absolute least. And without stating the obvious, y'all already know, black folks is tired. And um, we still, nevertheless, we have to find a way to fight and carry on. And as service providers, particularly doing this work of uh, wellness and mental health, we have to take care of ourselves too. And so, in In interest of that, I wanted to bring together a group of people that I have a high level of respect for. Uh, One of them I'm meeting for the very first time, one I've met just recently, and others we go back a little bit further. So I'm going to uh, try to indulge all of them really quick with a very brief introduction as we break down the latest uh, in the world of mental health as it impacts the Black community. Right here on Psychotic Bump School, this is the Mental Health Army. Mental Health Army for this week. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School my good sister, Casey Phillips-Brown, who is a licensed clinical social worker out of Southern California. I'm also joined by the amazing Dr. Nikki A., clinical psychotherapist out of Southern California, L.A. Uh, We're also acquainted with our good brother, Jamal Jones. He's on the line. He's a social worker from the great city of Los Angeles, Southern California. Welcome back, good brother Jamal. We also have Thanks. the operable out of the Yay area. We have Dr. Roche Brown, clinical psychotherapist out of the home of Wakanda Forever. Dr. Roche Brown is rejoining us. In, oh, my goodness. It's so good to have you here. Uh, Thank you for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, this young lady I'm meeting for the very first time, the good sister is Shondelle Mishaw. Oh, I hope I said that correctly, Shondelle. How did I do with that? You did good. <laughs> Miss, Miss Michelle is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm assuming you're in Southern California as well. Is that right? You're correct. Oh, thank you for being here. It's such a pleasure to be here. You're going to stay as long as you can. And out of the Midwest, you know, I try to have a cross-sectional international, national discussion anyway. This sister was here a couple weeks ago, and she's back. Clinical psychotherapist out of Chicago, Illinois. Please welcome back Dr. Amanda Rankin. Dr. Rankin, you're there too, right? I am here. Okay, that is the lineup and I think we'll be joined by Dr. Chase Moore out of Northern California in just a little bit. Uh, in the meantime and in between time, um, everybody, we've had a lot to deal with and um, I've reached out to y'all in uh, one form or another whether via text messaging or uh, phone calls or emails. I mean, it's it's been hard it's been hard. It's been a lot to deal with. And at every turn, I myself have had to turn to people in my community, meaning the Black mental health community, for uh, some support and a soft place to land so I could just kind of gather myself together. So um, one of the first things on my mind, and I'm, I'm not doing this in a very linear fashion, so bear with me, uh, y'all, on the call right now. But the first thing that struck me of late has been the, uh, the protests that have ensued as a result of the arrests of. Uh, well, not arrest, but the shooting death of David Perdue and the shooting, almost fatality, of uh, Jacob Blake. Now, um, the reason why these are resonating with me so much is because of the the, the continuing narrative that it, it really didn't seem to be necessary. It didn't really have to happen. So I want to throw this first question out to the social workers on the line. That's uh, Casey Phillips Brown and Jamal Jones. Um, Y'all do this work all the time. Y'all respond, y'all go into the homes, y'all have to talk people off the ledge, whether literally or figuratively, all the time. And I was speaking in the previous segment before I was speaking to y'all that I've had to do that myself in just in my career. So Casey, Phillips Brown, before I go to Jamal, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what has transpired in the uh, shooting death of one David Perdue and the fact that he was having a mental health episode that led his brother to make the call in the first place to 911 for assistance, and he ended up uh, fatally shot. Uh, Casey Phillips Brown, what are your thoughts on that? And then I'd like to hear from the good brother, Jamal Jones.
0: Um, I just feel that it's so unnecessary as someone who does training in particular on how to handle crisis situations. And what I'm constantly teaching our staff is that our job is to go into a situation that's already high and it's already considered a crisis and for it to be better when we leave for people to walk out alive and so to be responsible for training people you know every you know a few times a year every year on this and then to turn on the news and see where it's just blatantly not happening in agencies where it should happen it's extremely frustrating it's extremely disheartening and it's, it's it emotionally takes a toll um I, i'm angry i'm i'm yeah i'm speechless most of the time when it comes to this because you can talk someone down, we, we've had one hospitalization that I was a part of since this pandemic happened and um, we were very clear, we were trying our best not to contact the police and involve them in this. We were trying our best not to, but when it got to the point where he had injured his mom, we had to. When we called, we were very clear, this is the mental health patient, we are uh, mental health workers, we're, we'll be here on site to please be prepared when they you know, arrived. And when they came, it, I was very happy. It was actually in here in the Los Angeles area. It was two uh, police officers, uh, two cars full of police officers, uh, fire engine, we had two ambulance. Like it was about 15 people that showed up and everyone was calm. The police unfortunately had to remove the person from the home un- unwillingly. And he was screaming and yelling, but they handled him with care. Everyone was on the same page when we when I connected with the police officers afterwards there. I was like, do you guys understand what we were talking about that there's a mental health issue and they were like, yes, we see it. We've been to this home before. So it felt really good to see that in some t- in some uh, places or in some instances. So they can deescalate a situation. Because my thought is always that if we don't tell them what's going on, they're gonna come with gums blasting. That's what I think. I may be wrong, but that's what I imagine is gonna happen. So I'm super clear with my staff and when I'm in these situations to make sure they understand this is a mental health case, please come with either mental health professionals with you or be aware that we are here and we don't want this to escalate. So I've had countless situations where I've had to talk someone down. Mm-hmm. I've never actually had someone with a weapon Uh, to be honest, but they were going to either hurt themselves or when, um, I should say not a gun. I had a young boy try to pull up a a pole one time to either injure himself or us. I wasn't sure. But our whole mindset was, how do we get him down? Not how do we get him to a point where the police have to come and intervene. So to to see these situations happen, to see them escalate to death is extremely uh, upsetting because I know it can be done. I've seen it be done.
1: Absolutely. Now, Shandell, I'm coming to you in just a second. Jamal, how familiar is that to you? Isn't that commonly what y'all do on a day-to-day basis?
7: Yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, when you have situations like this, it just kind of exacerbates some of the uh, stress, I would say, with some of the clients, that, with clients that we do deal with, be uh, work with, I'm sorry, and it's just, um, again, there's a multitude of different situations, be it poverty, be it mental health drug issues things like that and when you are just witnessing that situation on TV and you've already you already feel like you're being beat down by the system and all these things against you and then you see this and um a lot of times when we have our clients they will identify with a situation where they say oh, okay this person's a criminal or this person that was shot was you know there are all these things they're saying about this individual but if these are individuals that are suffering these are individuals that are like it more, it, people that are more susceptible and I hate to say it like this, folks that are getting more, that are more susceptible, all of us are susceptible to it. But mm-hmm. unfortunately what's happening is like some of our more poor, com- lower income, poor communities and folks that are dealing with a lot of issues are being more so harassed. And when we're working with our clients and you're going into the homes, it's like, that's what, you know, that is just an audit, it's an added stressor on top of whatever they have to deal with. Yeah. And you you get into these conversations where we're talking about services, we're talking about things and their progress and programs, but it ends up turning into a whole hour conversation about what we just saw on the news. You know what I'm saying? So we're talking about that a mm-hmm. majority of the time and we're not even talking about what is case related and what's what's brought them to the attention of us and what we're working on and all this other stuff. Yeah. We get so sidetracked because they're so consumed yeah. what what they just saw on TV so that is what i've been experiencing uh when i've been talking even on the phone folks will call me on the phone and it'll be a random conversation and i'm like well let's let's talk about your uh let's talk about your domestic violence program they can't even talk about it because they're so consumed on what's happening and what they just saw so that's and if that's happening with some folks you can just imagine how many folks it's happening with me as well but again those that have been harassed those that have been Super, you know, harassed by the police. Um, that's what I'm starting to see. Yeah. So, and again, it's just you know, our homeless population is the same thing. You know, the homeless, yeah. the homeless population. When you talk to homeless, is you know, they'll start screaming about that because you know what's happening to them. The LAPD and sanitation is coming over there and taking down all their stuff and throwing it away. Uh, uh, fortunately, it's not happening right now because the city has put a halt on that. But yeah. again, because they have a, a point of contact with law enforcement that's adding an extra stress to the homelessness and things that they're already dealing with. Cause they're afraid that that may happen to them. So.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Well. Can I
5: add to that?
1: Yes, absolutely.
5: Uh, Cause just, just thinking about that and thinking about it theoretically, uh, I, I, I imagine a kind of pressure cooker where we all c- we, as in Black Americans, we carry the burden, you know, of racial trauma of our histories uh, in America and the assassinations of our Black leaders. We all carry it. I think the thing that sets us each apart are the the different, you know, protective factors that we have, whether it's faith, our health, education, relationships, whatever it is, but we all kind of you know, start carrying that burden, but how we feel it, you know, I, I think is differentiated and how, and um, the things that we have to offset, you know, the risks you know, like, like, I'm thinking about resilience. And I, I do think with a lot of my clients, and I span across the people that I see, uh, you, you can see it, you can see it affecting people at different levels to where I think now, you know, with everything kind of in our face with, you know, um, whether whether it be, uh, you know, death caused by police brutality, or deaths within our inner communities, you know, like, I feel like we've, all are just hitting a place where it's it's enough. It's more than enough.
1: More than enough. That was Dr. Amanda Rankin out of uh, Chicago, Illinois. We've also been joined by uh, the good brother, Dr. Chase Moore, educational psychologist out of Northern California. He'll be joining us in just one second. Welcome aboard, Chase. So yeah, I was in fact Dr. Rankin was going to turn to the uh, psychotherapist. Miss um, Michaud, Shandell Michaud is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, Picking up on what Dr. Rankin said and what Jamal was speaking about in terms of just being so inundated with the here and now that, you know, if you're seeing someone, uh, Shondell, you're you're working on a goal. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? A a counseling goal of some kind, a a behavior goal, if it's a, a younger client. And I think he's right. Well, to what degree have you seen something similar to that, to where things have been so pervasively and perpetually in our faces that we can't even get to the issues that we've normally uh, originally signed up for because the news cycle has been parading such trauma in front of our clients on a daily basis. Chondale, what have you seen?
8: Yes, um, with 100 percent of the clients and families that I work with, that is the case where it's just um, current events. What's currently going on is is what um, it's the topic of the sessions, um, and it is ongoing trauma, which adds to whatever they're presenting problems may be, and so. You know, it's always meeting the clients and families where they're at. So unfortunately, it is the current um, new cycle that's going on. It is the current trauma, the latest police brutality death that we have to deal with. Um, but it's meeting them and, and just sharing in that experience with them. Um, that I'm able to do that and just um, focusing on whatever they bring bring up. You know, not trying to push maybe my agenda or like here this is a goal. Let's mm-hmm. focus on this. No, you have to have them. Um, talk, to process the trauma, to help them learn how to deal. We are a resilient community, um, but bringing that up, reminding them of that, but giving them a platform to talk about it, um, share their frustrations, their fears, um, anxieties, their worries. Uh, so yeah, it is a hundred percent of the time. Um, it's, it's always what happens with our clients and families, unfortunately.
1: Wow. When you speak of anxiety, Shandell, um it, calls me to uh, Charlemagne the God, who's been very uh, public about his own anxiety disorder and how um, he's constantly on edge, like a lot of us understandably are. And um, I'm coming to uh, Dr. Roche Brown, I'm coming to you. And then Dr. Nikki, I'm coming to you in just a second as well. Uh, Following Shondell right there, Dr. Roche Brown, out of Northern California, yay area. Um, Yay! Clients. (laughs) Um, can you speak to that a little bit further that uh Miss Michelle is talking about? Um, how is it that clients are able to um sort of hmm, articulate their experiences right now? Because, you know, of course, Dr. Joy DeGruy talks about a perpetual slave disorder. I'm getting it wrong. I'm sorry. Post-traumatic, but, post-traumatic slave disorder. Yes. Right
0: there. Yes,
6: yeah,
1: <laughs> syndrome. syndrome. Yes, thank you.
6: Syndrome.
1: So when that's the case, um, I'm wondering to what degree Shondell's uh, experiences are also resonating up here in Northern California to where can you identify or articulate what the sense is of terms of the level of hopelessness or hopefulness or um, what are some um, well what are your clients walking in with are, are, are they lost are they as broken as they seem like they are to me because I feel like our spirits are just really really hurting right now Dr. Roche uh, what's been your experience
6: so there's been a mix of 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 different emotions and different um, reactions, right? Um, on a um, some level, of course, we have to like just understand the climate, right? Of like I always call it COVID land. We're living in COVID land, right? In the quarantine, so all those things are also impacting us to um, be a lot more sensitive. Till everything else that's happening too, right? And then there's like constant like trauma on top of trauma. Um, so that's what's been happening for most of my clients. So it's everybody just feeling already kind of weak. And then there here goes another blow. Um, and so it's giving, um, similar to what was already said, just kind of allowing um, people space to feel right? And to let people know that it's okay to feel. I think a lot of our suffering comes from the fact that we try not to feel. We try to avoid it. We try to distract ourselves. Um, We try to, um, you know, do other things to not feel, whether it's substance use or um, other things that are impacting us a lot of times. And so having to give people space for that and to validate their emotions and experiences and to normalize what may be going on. Um, When it comes down to like the levels of anxiety, um, that was also talked about, Um, is, you know, of course, giving people tools around anxiety um, and then even understanding that, you know, kind of what trauma looks like, what is like being more hypervigilant, being more sensitive, being more potentially irritable um, with even just your white counterparts, right? Even having great relationships with other people who are non-Black, but being triggered by them at the same time. And how to, um, you know, how to navigate these worlds and how to balance it um, has been most of the issues that's been coming up. And, you know, in the world that I live in, it's not only just, I don't just have black clients. And so I'm even managing how do like, you know, non-black people manage what's going on and how do they support and give support to their um, black um, colleagues or friends or um, family members as well.
5: Absolutely. So that's
6: been a lot that's been, um, you know, coming up uh, in, in my world.
5: Yeah. And that's, very uh, I
6: mean,
1: say, yeah, absolutely. That That's a pleasant development. Um, I, I have a... a an experience to share if we have time of a white allyship, somebody stepping up uh, to, to look after me out there. So I'll take it. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're on with uh, what I'm calling um, generously the, uh, the mental health army. We have Dr. Roche Brown, you just heard from out of uh, the Bay Area. Ahead of her, we heard from licensed marriage and family therapist, Shondell Michaud out of Southern California. We also have Jamal Jones, Master Social Worker out of Southern California. The incredible Casey Phillips Brown, Licensed Clinical Social Worker out of Southern California. Long Beach, am I wrong? Somewhere up that way, right? Okay. My office is in Gardena. Gardena, okay, that's Southern California. Uh, We're about to hear from Dr. Chase Moore. We have, uh, Dr. Chase Moore is from Northern California. You heard a little bit from Dr. Amanda Rankin, who's in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm about to turn it over to Dr. Nikki A. Southern California clinical psychotherapist. So it looks different in each region. You know, Casey, thank you for pointing out that you're in Gardena, cause you're, you're still in the neck of the woods and I'm wondering where Shandelle is relative to what she was speaking about. But Dr. Nikki in LA, my dear home, um, I know yes. it's popping off, you know what I'm saying? And, and Jamal knows the area very well, along with um, Shondell, I'm sure. Um, it was popping off recently because there was another shooting just around there and people protesting on, uh, was it 106th and Budlong or something like that? Yes. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it hits differently respective to the region that uh, we're in. And I'm wondering where you are in LA, Dr. Nikki, can you speak to uh, what uh, Dr. Roche Brown was just talking about? What does it look like down in LA and some of those hot spots where people are speaking out and marching against the protests that they're seeing?
9: It you know, it raises a lot of anxiety for everyone, us as providers, us as activists, and you know, just knowing like what our clients are previously previously going through. Um, I have like my private practices, which is everywhere, but I also do manage a wraparound program, um, like in the beach cities. Well, we where our headquarters is in Whittier, like East you know, like the East LA East side. Um, but we service um like the beach area, South LA, and actually minutes before coming signing on to here, I was actually um, had a, a slight little crisis, like you know, with one of my clients, and this is a client that you know raises uh, has a lot of anxiety, and pretty much reached out um, to me because um, with some special cases, I will be more hands-on, and you know, tell my staff that you know I also they can also reach out to me as well, and because this individual has just been quite vulnerable. Um, you know, pretty much I had to, you know, raise anxiety for me because I know this is a person that would go out and act impulsively and, mm-hmm. you know, either put himself in a situation where he hurt himself or hurt others. Yeah. So he put, thank God we provide him and address those goals and tools and, you know, being able to, um, provide him with the coping skills for him to reach out to us if he is feeling impulsive because mm-hmm. he would definitely be vulnerable. And actually, um three a few weeks ago, you know, he, he was um arrested by the police um with allegations of some domestic violence issues and was actually fifty one fifty. Um to our listeners, um that's a code to be put on a seventy two hour hold, um, you know, labeling you pretty much insane and a risk, you know, to yourself and or others. Yeah. So um just, you know, speak just listening to all of you about how we're very like um very sensitive and 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 anxious you know providing these tools for our clients because we don't want them to be like one of these statistics you know of being shot and you know not taking like you know warning if we do have to call the police or if the police is being called or anything you know warning them that hey you know this is an individual who has mental health issues and Mm -hmm. just you know being protective like i know that all of us feel very very overprotective you know just not just our clients but our family you know our associates our community um we've been vulnerable um and and i like the fact that um someone had referenced um the post-traumatic stress um the post-traumatic slave syndrome of dr leary i actually have went to like um like about maybe 15 years ago and attended like one of her workshops so if you all haven't read that book that's a really it's a really good book to get but um yeah this feeling very very like overprotective um constantly i've feel like I'm always, like, trying to do some type of in-service, um, you know, through Facebook, you know, Instagram, um, and utilizing my, you know, my Zoom account to just reaching out to individuals on a daily basis, as well as, like, you know, trying to be active. Of course, like with um, our quarantine situation, it's it's kind of, you know, puts a barrier in us being, you know, the tangible um, activists that we all, you know, like to be, that we are that. Right. But yeah, just really like, um, really right now I'm just, you know, on, on an edge and a lot of my colleagues and other, you know, people that I network with, we're just, you know, on edge, we're very overprotective. we're very active, we're constantly just, you know, supporting like as many people as we can, because people are very vulnerable and just really, um. Trying to also to like even before um, you know these situations happen, I've always been a person. I live in different regions. I live, you know, up north. I live in Alaska. I live in Nevada, and um, I've always. you oh, um, said Alaska. I don't know. I know who you. lives in Alaska. Yeah. That's a whole. Not- <laughs> that's it. It was a short stay, but that's a whole. Not- <laughs> I know, <Yeah. laughs> Alaska need need love too.
4: <laughs> Hold up to believe
9: it. it, believe it or not, mm-hmm. um, they they do too but um yeah just you know remaining like proactive and remaining um you know just in 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 constant like you know um communication with everyone keeping people educated keeping people you know constantly aware because even like you know before all this um you know a lot of a lot of people as minorities don't really reach out like to to mental health issues but um i feel like now that we got more people like you know building that awareness for us. So like, you know, you, you mentioned Charlemagne the God, and I appreciate him and other people kind of um, mainstreaming the mental health awareness in industry. So very, very, very important. Always staying on alert and always trying to, you know, reach out to people. Yeah, even Taraji. Taraji,
0: too,
9: right? yeah, Taraji yeah, go ahead, Casey, before I flip it. Yes.
0: No, that's all I'm just saying. I, from my understanding, I believe she came up with an initiative and she's been really promoting mental health as well.
6: Yes. Yes. Just yes. 500 clinicians, like available, and they were actually uh, had money, raising money for people to actually get services for free.
5: Beautiful.
1: That's beautiful. People with these huge platforms are speaking on these issues. I'm tripping now, uh, Dr. Chase. I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna let you land this first segment real quick. Um, just the the zeitgeist of mental health culture has raised to such a level now where it's actually cool to talk about it. It's crazy because people understand, especially kinda of like what Dr. Nikki was just talking about, Chase, it's like we are overprotective right now. And I've said it many times and in multiple ways on this show. It's like I am consciously outwardly supporting my black wagons or circling my black wagon, you know, supporting more black businesses and buying black and not just on blackout days <laughs> like it is on the blackout coalition. I'm just, I'm my politics, my mental health, my error thing is blackety black, black right now. And <laughs> It is what it is, but it is also exhausting, kind of like what Dr. Nikki was saying. So before we take a real quick break, Chase, can you can you speak to that a little bit? Because I, I'm conscious or curious about the toll that it takes upon us as as the service providers who are worried about our clients, like she said, impulsively going out there and doing something silly, and yet we still have to provide and maintain our own sanity. So before we take a break, Chase, can you speak to that a little bit?
4: Yes, yes. And uh, it's been uh, great to hear everyone speak to the the challenges that uh, we're experiencing as a people. Um, but to address that, I would say self-care is the most important thing that you can do. Um, and I, I believe it was Audrey Lower who said uh, self-care is an act of war, uh, or at least uh, close to that. So, you know, sometimes we are thinking, you know, what can I do? Can I do more? Or uh, we have this desire to support and just like the analogy on the airplane, where you uh, if you lose cabin pressure, you have to put the mask over your face first. Um, right. I think that's the, uh, the approach we should take for this, because if you're not healthy, then you can support no one else in being healthy. And a lot of times, just the way you move, your actions, your energy will be inspiration to people. And so uh, a lot of times we can say things, but unless we are practicing it ourselves, it, it won't uh, really be supportive. Um, and so that's one thing just for the healers, you know, um, for all of us. And then, you know, also just picking your battles. I know for me personally, I have, um, you know, really used this time to read and I've found that there was a, a period of time where I was, probably more ineffective than effective because i was acquiring so much information and acquiring so much knowledge i was reading up on spirituality but i'm also reading up on racism and you know reading a new book about the caste system and so at some point you you uh can uh render uh render yourself ineffective and so you know it's important to understand that there will be no one person who solves racism or solves social injustice, it will be pe- many people, um, you know, engaging in their roles. And so I think that's, you know, that's the approach that I'm taking to this is just understanding that I have a lane and a role and I need to, you know, to fill my my soul and my spirit before I can uh, work with others. And so, you know, I'm trying to give the world uh, the best of me and not what's left of me. And so hopefully that uh, that answers it. <laughs>
1: it did. It's like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? I like that. Exactly. I like that.
7: This is Al Jackson, a.k.a. Al Jacks 3.
2: This is John Myers, a.k.a. Third Son. And this is Christy Lomax. And, and we're the, the Trilaterals. Line.
6: And you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome,
3: on KCWG, com. The best internet radio station on the planet. Wee
1: The Truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're back with the Mental Health Army. I want to thank licensed marriage and family therapist Shondell Michaud for joining us briefly. And uh, like I said, uh, toward the end of that last segment, we were joined by Dr. Chase Moore, educational psychologist out of Northern California. We have Jamal Jones, Casey Phillips Brown, Dr. Nicole, Dr. Nikki, that is Dr. Roche Brown, Dr. Amanda Rankin, Casey Phillips Brown out of Southern California. they are all here, y'all. So, uh, I wanted to talk about something in this segment that's kind of near and dear to my heart, because this has been taxing on us and it has taken a toll on uh, our capacity. It threatens to anyway. I'm not going to say that it is. I'm not going to claim that. But it threatens to take away the the aspirational hopes of our people that we can get beyond this and that we can actually live to see a brighter future and a society that actually governs itself and conducts itself in a way that really respects the humanity, the basic humanity of black folks. Uh, I had a guest on earlier, uh, journalist off the route, uh, Anne Branigan, and she and I briefly went into that discussion. And Dr. Chase Bohr, I'm going to have you take uh, this first one. I want you to listen to this clip really, really fast. Uh, we're talking about what's happening in the wonderful country of Senegal. Uh, believe it or not, she's been studying the developments in that country with uh, this, the uh, iconic singer Akon and the things that he's doing in that beautiful country. So uh, Mental Health Army, if you can stand by, I'd like for you to listen to this clip with uh, Anne Brannigan of The Root. Stand by.
3: Um, For the past, I think, year or so, he's been floating this idea of creating this utopian sort of smart city, which would be highly developed. It would use cyber currency, and and yeah, it would be very much like created with, with the idea that this is by the African diaspora for the African diaspora. And so, you know, when he was talking about it earlier this week, he was very specific about wanting to bring um African Americans, having this be sort of like this upscale <laughs> refuge for them. Um, either as visitors, either as tourists, or uh, potentially as, you know, repatriates, um, which is something that you, which is messaging that we've seen from a few other places, like most notably from Ghana, with the year of the return, really emphasizing sort of, you know, here you can reconnect back to your roots, here you can be valued in a way that you maybe are not as a Black American.
1: I thought that was kind of deep. Um, this has been uh, reflective of the whole 1619 vision for uh, this year anyway, or last year where people were talking about returning to Ghana and whatnot. So Dr. Chase, i have you take that one. Um, what's your thoughts on that in terms of being a mental health worker living during this time of 2020, a pandemic of uh, coronavirus, a pandemic of institutional structural racism and the prospect of creating something for Black folks that represents a bit of a safe haven um, for us to uh, find a soft space to land during this madness. Dr. Chase Moore, what are your thoughts?
4: Yeah well you know it it just kind of reminds me of um, you know a book it's called The Obstacle is the Way and so you know while of course the deaths that we've seen um, particularly in, in the Black and Brown communities are harsh I feel like the pandemic has, um, you know, been an obstacle that uh, has allowed the matrix to kind of break down for us to see what we need to see. And so there, there's there been a lot of, at least for me as a self-proclaimed Pan-Africanist, um, you know, a, a lot of benefits from the pandemic. Um, I'll be going, my family, my wife and uh, three kids will be going to Senegal in November. And so that's something that I feel is, uh, you know, is a blessing to our lives because we are now, uh, you know, I would say bicultural. I have children who um, are very interested in their African roots. Um, we've done, we've traced our heritage back, and. I think just simple things like, you know, not wanting to be called black. And I know this is, you know, another segment for another day, but uh, if you go to Africa, there are no black people. There's Ifa, there's, you know, Ashanti, there's a lot of different people, but there, you know, there are no black people. And, um, you know, simply reading, uh, I read a book It's uh, the cast and it talks about how that term really is, uh, was created politically uh, as a ranking system. And it takes away your culture. It takes away your heritage. And it gives you everything that we, you know, proclaim to hate about uh, America and about ourselves. And so, you know, I think this time, what you just spoke to with Acon developing the city, it is, um, it is African people's way of saying, look, we, you know, started civilization, and we can certainly do it again, we just have to remember, you know, exactly who we are, and what we are and value that it's, a, you know, so I think what I have seen is that we are coming back into valuing ourselves, acknowledging ourselves, and wanting to do for ourselves? Um, you know, with all these you know mental health professionals uh, on uh, on the call, you know, I think uh, with Gail DeGruy, uh, her book Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome really taught us is that you know there is a psychology that comes with being oppressed for so long, and so I think you know again the pandemic has somewhat broken um, that mental barrier that we've had and it is allowing many of us to see that hey we can do for ourselves and we can um take an approach to where we are competing we're rivaling just like every other culture competes for resources competes to keep their culture alive and strong Um, and when we do that that helps our mental health you know from my when i work with uh children you know me supporting them and learning about their culture that does more for their mental health than any strategy that I can think of because they have purpose and intentionality now behind what they do. They have purpose and intentionality for being mindful. If you don't know who you are, then, you know, being mindful won't help. Being organized won't help. Being, you know, using these strategies are, You know, can be sometimes it can be difficult for people to use when they don't have a foundation like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you don't feel safe psychologically, then it's going to be hard for you to to grow and improve. And so, uh, ultimately, I think you know uh, the clip was beautiful. I'm glad to see it. I think that we have a lot of learning to do, though, if we are going to um, engage with our African brethren because uh, and and sisters over there because they they you know also have their issues and being colonize and have and we do too so a lot of my work is trying to bridge that gap and getting in and helping us both rid some of the the ills that we've taken on from being oppressed either you know through the diaspora or on the on the mother continent so yeah absolutely well that's why i wanted to get you uh
1: to um give your spin on that real quick before we let you go good brother uh thank you for joining us that's dr chase moore educational psychologist out of northern california Uh, He actually has a book out there called The Emotion, The Tree and Me. Look him up. Uh, He's a real good brother. He's a real smooth cat, as you can tell.
4: Dr. Chase Moore, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you. Okay, good brother? All right. We appreciate you too over here. Uh, Thank you all, and I uh, wish I had more time to spend with you. I uh, appreciate you all uh, letting me speak. Absolutely. God bless, good brother. Jamal,
1: I'm coming to you in just a second, but this is for uh, Dr. Rankin and for uh, Casey Phillips-Brown. When I think about this segment, um, Dr. Rankin. It, it really is inspired by uh, the loss suddenly of Chadwick Boseman, uh, Black Panther, uh, actor extraordinaire. It's funny, he's synonymous with Black Panther. It's like, that's the role that immediately comes to mind. It, it jumps to mind immediately. I mean, not to forsake his role and Get On Up, which I love, the movie about James Brown, uh, 42, Jackie Robinson, Marshall. My wife and I went to the movie theater and watched that through and through and thoroughly enjoyed it. But Losing him so suddenly, and the fact that he kept his um, his illness quiet uh, is, of course, a feat in itself. That he it was not leaked to the press, but the harm that it caused, you know, finger quotes, uh, is that we didn't have a chance to prepare. We didn't have a chance to get ready, and so to us, black people, it was another dramatic blow uh, to the gut, and um, and I'm arguing that. Uh, What he represented particularly with his role in Black Panther that Black people can create uh, these very very aspirational realities where it's not just a notion we can actually uh, build and create for ourselves. Dr. Rankin what are your thoughts on uh, in the context of what Dr. Chase Moore was speaking about and what we can aspire toward as Black people doing mental health and for our people and that society where we have a bit of a, a nirvana of uh, support and refuge for us. Uh, in what ways is it challenging to envision that for our people during this day and age? Dr. Amanda Rankin and then uh, Casey Phillips Brown.
5: Okay, what, what I think uh, Chadwick did for us and what I think Black Panther did for us was uh, allow unity, right? I think a lot of times, uh, especially in just thinking about the division within um, Black people and we lose a lot of the individuality Um, just where, you know, it's difficult to accept someone at the different ends of the spectrum, right? Like, I I think, uh, what Black Panther, Black Panther did was kind of help us to get to a place where it's like, okay, we are all, you know, in this together, we are all kind of, uh, fighting toward, you know, the hope that was portrayed in the movie, but hopefully will be, um, you know, something that we're able to take part in. But I, I do think when we allow individuals and individuality into the collective, we are stronger. You know, um, when my weaknesses are someone else's strengths and we have the space and capacity for both of that, for both of those, then we do better. You know, we, we, we go forward even more than what we, we could individually. Um, so I, I really think that I think as we mourn uh Chadwick I think we uh we we somewhat kind of mourn the movement uh that that uh he spearheaded in his role uh, I think it's similar to kind of uh the just deflation that was spelled um you know, when when some of our we lost some of our, our other Black leaders, uh, but my hope is that you know we use it as momentum, uh, similar to uh, the um, the the clip that you shared. You know, I think we are all thinking these things. I think we all are kind of uh, working a, a, a more comprehensive vision, and uh, I, I just hope you know that we continue to move forward in that.
1: Absolutely. That was Dr. Amanda Rankin, clinical psychotherapist out of Chicago. Casey Phillips-Brown, licensed clinical social worker. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I agree uh, with with both of uh, the, the last two speakers and putting it together. So what we lost with Chadwick uh, Boseman as an actor was he, he came across as a humanitarian in almost every role that he did, right? It was not, it was, the roles were unselfish. The roles, were, it was someone that you could admire, look up to, and inspire to be. When we talk about, of course, Black Panther, one of the things that stood out the most to me was the relationships between uh, he as Black Panther as T'Challa with all the women in his life, with his mother, with his love, with mm. his sister, with his general. Mm-hmm. It was they protected him
4: yes,
0: and he protected them. So one of the things that it doesn't get spoken about very often is just. How it really created a love between men and black men and black women. Just watching that movie, I could watch it over and over again just to catch the small little parts with people. I will impale him upon the desk if he touches you again. His general said about him, like in the sister, like in him when when uh, Killmonger comes toward the sister and he's like, "Wait, my sister!" And how he moves everything mountains to get to protect her. That's another thing he does um, for us, and just you can tell. And just watching interviews and how people interacted with him, the women. Who interacted with him? It, it from not knowing him, it, it really appeared his love of black women and his love of women in general, and it just that's another thing to me. It brings so much. It brought so much to us, and that we cannot let die, and that we have to continue on. I think our connection with Mother Africa is extremely important. Um, I've been. It's interesting how this world has worked out. In the last two years, I started homeschooling my children, just because my I know my son has ADHD, and I wrote a book about how we treated it naturally and coming from that perspective of uh, he needs something different and then him doing a lot of projects on africa and taking um my family to south africa and uh zimbabwe and botswana for for the animals and for victoria uh, victoria falls initially but as we started to explore and learn more it was so important for us to get out and take them to see more of africa and so then you have that in 2017 black panther comes out and then you have all the different uh countries that were shown like Wakanda of course is not real but Mm -hmm. it's not just one Africa you see I noticed so many different tribes just from that one place that's supposed to be in Africa and so realizing I wanted to take my I know he mentioned uh Senegal and I know I want to go to Ghana but I wanted my children to see the beginning of civilization before we saw maybe slave uh, dungeons and things of that nature. So we recently took a trip to Ethiopia and we able to go to Minch and go visit about five different tribes in the valley, right. in Omo Valley. And from what they got to see, they got to see Lucy's bones, the first bones. Mm. That's what we need here is that pride. Yeah. That, so and, and of course we wanted to go to Ghana this year, but COVID had different plans. So we're taking a break on that right now. But mm. Black Panther to me, it, it created an awakening and our people to want to know more about Africa and know more about the different countries on the continent. Um, And Chad would just, he just embodied what, the pride of our people has been forever and ever and ever. So it's interesting. My kids started their own uh, company, Soar and Deep. One scuba dives and one flies. So get it, Sore and Deep. <laughs> um, and they and they and they sell their their educational materials on Africa. Not too many people get to get a chance to go. So that's another thing. I think it's limited because financially it's hard for everyone to maybe go visit. Uh, Mm -hmm. however if we get more content out there where people can read more about it to see pictures of teenage boys from America hanging with teenage uh, girls in um, Mm -hmm. uh, in in Ethiopia that's what we need more of so with Chadwick this dream of a better world for us does not die Mm -hmm. it just should inspire us to do more and to learn more about Africa and hopefully to connect more
1: absolutely this is KCWG the truth programs called psychotic bump school I'm DJ Rome Uh, We're here with what I'm uh, graciously calling the Mental Health Army. That was Casey Phillips-Brown, licensed clinical social worker out of Southern California. Right ahead of her was Dr. Amanda Rankin. Out of Chicago, Illinois, clinical psychotherapist. We're about to hear from my good brother Jamal Jones, uh, a social worker out of Southern California. Jamal, standby. Uh, Dr. Nikki, I definitely want you to chime in on this because some of those things that they were just talking about in terms of the imaging we tried to create in some of our events in Southern California that I know you're, you and Jamal are well aware of. And uh, Dr. Roche Brown is here too, clinical psychotherapist out of the Bay Area. And I definitely want to hear from you, Dr. Brown, because this whole thing started in your home city. So I'm definitely coming to you in just a second with this. But uh, the good brother, Jamal Jones, uh, can you pick up where uh, Casey left off, man? Um, As a brother? What impact does, I mean, cause we we have, you know, I try to get a decent swath of representation here, but you know, (laughs) chat man, I mean, uh, it, it, it hit different. I mean, not to sound cliche, because I know that phrase is trending <laughs> these days, but uh, how did it impact you, man? And, and what, what does it say about our capacity to remain aspirational in lieu of other losses like C.T. Vivian and John Lewis and now the sudden loss of Chadwick Bozeman, Good brother, Jamal Jones. What are your thoughts?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, for one, it was a blow and I think uh, more so a blow for what the uh, imagery was and just him and the movie and him and it was something that we have not had in a long time Um, and usually when we have something like that it may be someone like that um, that's going to impact it's maybe just exclusive to the united states but to have a global impact uh, the way that this movie did which i i can't even think of any i mean i don't know if you can but any other uh movie that has had such an impact like this one Mm. and again forget forget about okay so you could just say you know what let's just forget about the the plot forget about anything forget about all that but think about what the imagery the visceral feeling that any person saw that movie and that's just it's like it's hardwired into your subconscious now and when you're walking around as a brother it's like from from non-black folks And you you walking around, it's just it's 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 almost like this subconscious feeling when you're walking around this proud, being proud to be a brother and walking around and, you know, it just it gives you that confidence. And I think if it's making an older brother like myself feel like that, you got to imagine with the little young lions that don't have fathers. Right. And don't have like imagery of positive black figures in their life. Those kids you know, that impact. And now that this brother's gone, it's, you know, it's, you know, hopefully, you know, we get somebody replace, you know, the, the situation. But as far as him as a brother, you start looking into him because you say, okay, let's look at him and his role. But look at the other roles he was playing. And then when the brother was speaking, it's like, okay, it, not only was he just a good actor, but he was a good, he was a very intelligent brother. Yes. So that loss, you know, it hit. And I think it's going to hit a lot. Well, I know it's hitting a lot of uh, the young brothers out there. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that's how I'm feeling about it right now, man.
1: Yeah, it, it was heavy, man. Very, very heavy. Um, he just took us away to another place and a time. And uh, you're absolutely right, man. I, I can't think of a film that had such a cultural uh, impact on black folks than that one. And um and again, Dr. Brown, I'm, I'm coming to you because Dr. Brown participated in the, we did a whole special on Black Panther, and that's when I first met Dr. Roche Brown. But Dr. Nikki, I'm coming to you. Um, given where we are and have been, you know, you know, I'm from down there where y'all are in uh, good old LA and um, my home city. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, the passing of Chadwick Boseman, uh, its impact on the mental health of the people around there? Uh, are they talking about it? Are you talking about it in your family, in your circles? Dr. Nikki, uh, what are your thoughts on that?
9: Yeah, it, it really, it really hit like with my family and, and, and you know, like when I hear about um, someone famous when they pass away, you know what I do first is reach out to my brother and say, is it true? You know, because it's just, you know, it's very, um it, you kind of like be in denial and it's just kind of like, man, like it just really hurts. Mm. And with, with Chadwick, I feel like he is a—he's professionally diverse, and I say prof- professionally diverse because yes, he is an actor, and you know he—he's very intelligent and he represents a lot. And um, you know, it's really great when the universe can put people in situations to play such phenomenal roles that he played. And the movie Black Panther—you know—we all had our reasons why we initiatively, you know—went to go see that movie, and that movie itself. Um, is I say it's diverse because it touched many different um, individuals. It's diverse, you know, by the age population that they reached out to, um, the socioeconomic status of individuals, the culture. When I went to go, I saw that movie a couple of times in a theater. And, um, you know, one of the times I made sure I went alone because I wanted to see like who were the audience, you know, were going to see this movie. And what some of us, you know, didn't realize when we heard Black Panther, you know, of course, we're thinking of Black Panther. You know, wearing all black with the Tams initially, um, and then I and then also too, like if you're into comics, then you were aware of like, you know, Black Panther in that way and the Marvels. So that that was that movie is phenomenal. And you know, as Casey mentioned, how you know Wakanda isn't real, but we felt like it. it just kind of like we felt it was real. Like it just put us like. Um, in a situation where it's like you know what we want to go to a condo or somewhere like it, mm-hmm. and um, another thing about like the movie too that you know and just Chadwick how he his delivery of it like stands out to me too is that the tribal instincts that we do have and um, and it put us back in touch into those tribal instincts because. Mm-hmm sometimes you know we kind of just have tunnel vision and we on our own and doing this and you're not really focusing outside the box but i feel like black panther and everything in general that's just been going on in 2020 um you know i just remember like last year my family and I were talking about you know 2020 vision you know what what's gonna you know you know right. what what we got for 20 2020 it's the, and you know what it was some vision mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it gave us some well, vision and, and because yeah. i felt like this year has just been one thing after another and you can't prepare yourself for tragedies or just any, you know, new events or events that happened before. But it's just like, okay, how do, you know, how do we embrace it? what we take away from? How do we learn? How do we pick up ourselves and, you know, move forward, get the support we need, support others? Just so, you know, when when I heard of his passing, it was just a lot kind of going through. And you kind of like think too, okay, 2020, what, what you got next?
4: And
1: we just keep our boxing gloves on. <laughs> it's, it's for real. For real. It's, it, what do they say? We're getting mollywhopped. But, you know, but that sounds really one-sided because we, we're swinging back. But it, it's been tough, Dr. Nikki, like you said. Yeah. It's like Casey yes. nailed it. It's, it's been heavy. And again, because we didn't know, no time to prepare. It's just boom. It's, this is what you're dealing with now. It's like he's, he's, he's gone on to another realm. So when that movie came out that uh, Casey and you and Jamal are speaking about and Dr. Rankin, uh, I had a special and I, I just wanted to devote an entire show because I saw what was happening. I saw people getting dressed up in their African attire and going to see this movie mm-hmm. in it multiple times. Like you just said, Dr. Nikki. And I know at the time that's exactly when I met Dr. Roche Brown and um, I had her on and um, she's actually from the Bay Area where it all went down. And uh, if I can recall, Dr. Brown, you actually have some peoples that participated either as a stunt double or
0: yes.
1: so I-, I intentionally wanted you to uh, kind of land the plane with this one because I know this one really hits differently. I, I can't get that phrase out of my head. It, it just hit differently, especially because of uh, the-, the-, the relevance of California. So, uh, Dr. Roche Brown, you've been hearing everybody speak. You're right there where it all went. Wow. What are your thoughts, clinical psychotherapist, Dr. Roche Brown?
6: Ooh, um, I just love all these educated like people that are on here today oh, and speaking. Um, Casey, you made me so excited about the movie again. I was like, I need to go watch it again. I was right. like, you know, just got me really? juiced. Um, and yes, I did. Uh, you know, a good friend of mine, she was um, the stunt double um, in it, and as well as she was one of the Dora Milaje. So, you know, it was, even when I watched it, I was watching just to see where she at um you know so it's a different way of looking at it and you know we spoke about it before um you know it, it was just a it was a great movie because it gave opportunities for deeper discussion even introducing discussions um about our history and our connection to africa like for our children so it gave us these great um awesome you know excitements to even want to be educated and to want to have Almost, um, I guess it even became cool to even like really embrace our culture in a different way.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, and
6: what what was interesting to me in this time is like you know as we're going through all that's happening in twenty twenty, right? It gave us this very clear vision what the world really is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that we um we need a super superhero, yes. right? In this world like this, like we need a superhero, mm-hmm. and so to, to realize that our superhero is now gone. I right. think is what you know is um, it feels even more devastating mm-hmm. in that way, um, but at the same time, I do want and just maybe just my optimism right cuz i do live in like a very like hopeful state is that his legacy still lives on right the movie has it still existed you know because of him and all the movies that he he's done right um and i think that that also is something to hold on to is that even just even a level of like how do we live our lives right mm-hmm. let's live our lives in a way that we do live leave a legacy and that you know people will still think of us like well beyond <laughs> when yeah.
3: Yes. And I
6: believe that he, he gave us that opportunity um, and, and, and gave us an example of how to live your life in that way.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
6: so I do think that we should kind of keep that positivity in there as well. Um, you know, it's a lot of little hits, right? But we also can um, keep, um, keep the hope, the little like you we know, slither of hope that we see in this time, that mm-hmm. we need to just hold on to that and we need to nurture that and we need to grow that area um, of hope um, in a time that feels so hopeless
1: well that's our show y'all psychotic bump school is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome i want to thank you for joining us this evening check back with us we shall return next week you know we're here every monday evening from 5 30 p.m to 7 30 pacific time and make sure you don't miss a single episode by downloading the kcwg com app right in your app store you can find us on apple you can also find us on roku and definitely go to the website for KCWGTheTruth.com and follow us there. I want to thank our very special guest for the evening, Ms. Ann Brannigan of The Root and the Mental Health Army, y'all. All seven of y'all. Shondell Michaud, Jamal Jones, Casey Phillips-Brown, Dr. Nikki, Dr. Amanda, uh, Dr. Roche Brown, and my good brother, Dr. Chase Moore. I also want to send a shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.